We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 178 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside uh, the fan favorite, somewhere between psychotic and iconic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking. I'm still suffering the effects of wearing chainmail for two hours a day for a fortnight. So I've got a bit of a stiffness in the back, a sore to shoulder. But I'm going to have to run all that off this weekend because I'm back in the woods with teenagers fighting with latex and foam weapons for fun. Oh, so LARP weekend, is that is that it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, heading up to the system that we are currently playing in. Uh, and I'm only going because the others want to go. And um, I do enjoy just sitting there by my little campfire, cooking large pieces of beef, burning wood and drinking bourbon to my heart's content. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, that bit, really. Well, if I were in the UK, my friend, I would be uh, joining you, not for the, uh, the the alcohol portion of it, but uh, the rest of it sounds like uh, good fun. I'd be sitting there with my, my bottle of water and would be enjoying it. Um, is this a, a chance for you to um, wreak havoc on some they-them people? It is, actually, and we've got a cunning plan. Our cunning plan is that all of our characters have taken political influence as a skill, which none of the others seem to bother with. What it does in the system is give you more than one vote per person. So if we've got, let's say, 60 players in the system, I personally can cast 54 votes. And that is pretty much the state of affairs that we find in the real world these days, that those that have put their efforts into influencing politics, business, can rig elections. And that's what we will be doing this weekend. We will be rigging a, an election, putting two of our people onto the council and then deciding what everybody else in the player party is going to do for the weekend. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's very very reflective of the real world. Sounds like a load of fun. I, I'm almost sorry that I'm going to miss it, but I will get to them one of these days. I assure you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's nasty creatures out to get us as a collective, so we have to work together to fight those nasty creatures. But the big fun of it is for me at the moment is what we call politics. Not politics, because it's bollocks. So it's politics. 
that's our, our choice of phrase and 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 how we like to approach things. Bolitics. I, I like that. We were having an interesting conversation while we were starting to uh, in prep, so we might as well just pick up right where we left off. I don't want to get right into the uh, the climate crisis just yet, but we'll get to that very shortly. But you had basically, as a pretext to that, you'd said that uh, these um, horrible bastards that have done everything that they've done in the modern era, they've basically taken the joy out of just about everything for the average everyday person. And I, I can't say that I disagree with that. I look at the average person now and I see... I see somebody that they just they look miserable. They they just look absolutely miserable because they just don't understand what's actually happening, and so they just by decree, I think they just give up. A lot of them are, are refusing to understand what's happening. But before I go into explaining that, let's let's just list the things. So if we start off with the pandemic, what did that do? It destroyed businesses. Um, the lockdowns the fake vaccine, the mask wearing, the social distancing. It stopped people doing the everyday things that we as humans like to do. We like to go out, see our friends, socialize. Uh, that's why it's called society, for goodness sake, because we we are social. We're social creatures. We live in we live in packs. The idea of tribalism and all those things that generated society as it is today, we're still wired that way. We haven't evolved out of that yet, thank goodness. Um, although they're doing everything they can to make us evolve out of that. Then you've got this fuel and energy crisis. Uh, it costs a fortune to fill your car up. You can't use electricity the way you used to. You can't use gas the way you used to, as in natural gas for cooking and, and heating your house and those kind of things. They put a block on during the lockdowns, of course, of, of going to the pub or going to a social event. And slowly but surely, they, they took our ability to socialise away from us. And it's made everybody very miserable. But because they were given that common enemy, just like in the in the live action role play, some nasty creatures that are coming for everybody, people could focus on that rather than focus on everything else that was being taken away from them. So they, they could still believe that the people that they've put in governance over them, their elected politicians, were still doing everything for the right reason. And that's not the case. They are not doing everything for the right reason. But this is something that's come home to roost, you know, over the last couple of days for, for me personally. And I'm not the one affected. But when you've got people such as spouses living with spousal abuse uh, and having to live with a sexual predator or paedophile in the house who is also violently abusive, a lot of people ask, well, the mother must have known. She must have known. Why didn't she just walk? You hear that quite often in trashy daytime programs like Jeremy Kyle's show, Jer Jerry Springer, as it were, and all those kind of things where this example is put in, in front of you and you ask yourself the question, why didn't she just leave? But people get put in awkward situations. I've said before, we've all got too much invested in society as it currently stands to even believe that it's being undermined and destroyed from within by our own governments. This is the case that these uh, unfortunate uh, victims of abuse are in. They have no choice. Maybe they've got kids they need to look after, and if they leave the family home, where are they going to go? Who's going to support them? 
it's a really hard choice. And it's a choice that a lot of women, uh, I don't want to just, just make it about women because men suffer spousal abuse as well. But it's easier, I think, for a man just to leave than it is for a woman with parental responsibilities to leave uh, an abusive household. Likewise, and I'll, I will make a point, our people in the country are still believing that tick turds like Rishi Sunak are actually still acting in their best interest. And I'm afraid he's an absolute c and he's not. To your point about we have too much invested in society, and you've made that point many times before, and I, I believe you're absolutely correct in, in your assessment there. But to that point, we've also been kind of affirming that over several generations now with we like to hear nothing but good news. Nobody wants to hear bad news. Nobody wants to hear the cold reality of the situation. And it's going every, to change. Every now and again, you have to hear that hard news. Because if you don't hear it, you just walk straight into the ambush, which I've talked about a lot recently. If you don't know what lies ahead, because you're away with the, the fairies in cloud cuckoo land and everything's rainbows and unicorns, you don't realize just what is working against you and what's about to leap out of the bushes uh, and give you a good seeing to. That's it right there is people, they just, they don't want to see what's actually going on. And I, I kind of, I, I marvel in that in a way, if it wasn't so damn serious uh, in a lot of respects, but people, I, I said it last week, they don't know what they don't know. I actually, I told that to somebody uh, when we were talking about uh, different, you know, professions and, and things like that. This is somebody that's a well-traveled individual and been around all these different places and is involved in business. And they're precisely the type of person that have helped facilitate part of this problem. And yeah. I simply said to this person without being rude, you know, I, I simply looked at them and I kind of smiled as I'm doing to you right now. And I said, people just don't know what they don't know. Not And this person is not realizing that, as I said, they have been part of what is now uh, a larger part of this problem. But again, when it slams home to people, when that mask has been ripped off, and it's in the process of being ripped off right now as we speak, when that cold reality hits home, then people are really going to find themselves in a world of trouble because they just... They will not like they will they will believe it to the end. They will not believe what's actually happening right in front of them. People don't believe it now. They don't want to see it now, even though there are voices, depending on how you listen to things or, you know, if you if you even have a willingness to want to listen. There are people that are trying to warn people as to what's going on and what they need to do in order to somewhat prepare. But nobody wants to do that. As you say, we're invested in our futures. That's what we do. We buy homes. We have families, we care for our families, we're running businesses, as you say, so everyone's got money invested in this. Nobody wants to invest in, uh, you know, I, and I'm just using this, I'm, I'm using worst case scenario here, right? Because we're talking cold, hard realities. Nobody wants to invest and nobody wants to hear that we need to invest in, say, oh, I don't know, preparedness. You know, we have insurance for everything else, right? We have auto insurance, we have homeowners insurance, we have, if you, for example, have a boat, you have boat insurance, you have health insurance, you have life insurance, but we don't have insurance for the everyday preparedness of things because, simply because, nobody wants to hear that because just on the face of it, nobody wants to hear, hey, you might want to think about building yourself a fallout shelter. Nobody wants to hear that either because just the thought of it 
just the thought of it. And you grew up during the Cold War, and that was the big rave all across the uh, the U.S. And I don't know if it was in the U.K. at the time, but fallout shelters. Hell, your underground system was actually used as uh, an emergency fallout shelter for your people in your cities. So yeah, this, but this not concept, every city, not every, not every city, city has a has an underground system. I mean, Glasgow has, Newcastle has, London has, but not everywhere has. So the majority of the population. Mm. Out in the countryside during the Second World War, we had these. I wasn't there, obviously, because I'm not that old. Uh, had these things called Anderson shelters, which essentially were corrugated iron. They came prefabricated. You'd put them in your garden and you'd stack earth up over them as much as you could. And when the air raid siren went, you'd get out of your bed, go into your back garden and get into your Anderson shelter. But those work against conventional bombs. They don't work against nuclear weapons. Right, that's true. But even even so, the point I was trying to make was is just the mere idea of this being introduced to people is unpleasant. People don't want to hear that. And so therefore, it's going to destroy all of this good news society that we've created for ourselves. Yeah. And the good news side of things, I mean, the best example I can use from my personal experience, and yes, I did work in the Middle East for a long time and I was paid in the main quite handsomely for it. But it's not all loads of money and five-star hotels. If you get into debt in the Middle East, particularly in the UAE and Saudi, you can wind up in jail just like that, you know, at the click of a fingers. And I know people who made mistakes and were disadvantaged, let's say, by unscrupulous um, corporate moves. Uh, who'd have thought corporations could be unscrupulous, but they can be. And people wound up in debt and wound up in jail. And the only way they got out of jail is if their friends and family could raise the money to to get them out. And I know of at least two people that happened to. When I was leaving the, the UAE and decided enough was enough, having had my savings wiped out three times by basically underhand corporate moves, I had to clear £55,000 worth of debt in a year. So I had to live, I had to pay for my family back at home, I had to pay for my accommodation, pay for my fuel, getting around and, and just existing, as well as clear £55,000 worth of debt in a year so I could leave the country. During that time, I was in the gym five days a week, and the happy hormones released whilst physically exercising make you feel great. But in actual fact, my situation was a whole lot less than great. And that's why even to this day, I don't necessarily trust the endorphins and serotonin and all the other things you get from, you know, having a good workout. So it's just like that in today's life. People have still got, oh, there's a great new series on Netflix. I'm going to watch that. I'll, I'll enjoy that. Can't wait to watch the, um, the Ladies Football World Cup. Or at the moment, we've got the Summer Nations Rugby on. All of these things, they're bread and circuses, as you've said before. And people are still feeling better about things, but they're, they're not focusing on all of the other things that are happening. The removal of their, their basic human rights. For instance, going on holiday these days is getting more and more expensive. Cruise liners have... Own, some are, some of them are only just lifting the prerequisite that you have to present uh, a certificate to say you've been vaccinated and boosted against COVID to go on a cruise. 
So even in the UK, if you wanted to go on holiday uh, within the country, all of the cheap hotels are currently full of Middle Eastern and Albanian migrants. So you can't even go and get a cheap hotel for a weekend break. You can't afford to put the fuel in your car to do it anyway. But even if you could, you'd be very hard pushed to find anything but the the big chain corporation Marriott's and Holiday Inns and those kind of hotels. That's another element that they've taken away from us slowly but surely. Uh, and people aren't just recognizing that fact. All the stuff with Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil and all the other renter mobs that are doing their project. I mean, you haven't heard much from Antifa recently, have you? But Or Black Lives Matter. Uh, they haven't done much protesting lately. I think they might have had their funding withdrawn and diverted to the eco-mob. So For the time being, slowly, yes, they actually, yeah. they actually have. They're tied up in litigation in the US at the moment, so they've redirected the funds, as you say, to the, uh, the eco-warriors. So slowly but surely, those protests... Uh, are giving all the strength to governments to make it impossible for people to conduct peaceful protests. Interesting story. Friend of mine went to Costa Coffee. They had a Costa Coffee card with £36 on it and went to buy some coffees through a drive-in. And when they went to pay, the machine wouldn't recognise the card and they tried two or three times. And the guy behind the counter said, you're going to have to download the app. Now, my friend is very awake and decided, I don't want to download your app. I won't download your app. I've got a method of payment there. You will take it. And an argument ensued. And eventually, the guy behind the counter said, look, I can see you've got the money on the card. I'm just going to give you the coffees. And he went to hand them over. And then he had a change of heart and went, no, I won't give you the coffees. You can get lost and told him to drive on. At which point, my friend said, no, I won't, and turned his engine off and sat there until the police were called. He then had to go to court. He made a mistake in court. This was a magistrate's court. He'd hired a private attorney at law who's not a qualified attorney, but he asked the magistrate if he would recognise his right to be this guy's advocate, which he said yes. And the idea was that the accused at the time shouldn't speak at all because as soon as you speak, you are entering a contract with the legal system if you give any kind of uh, speech at all. So he refused to identify himself in the court. And it wasn't till the end when he was told to stand up and he said, he said no, at which point his private attorney in law walked out of the magistrate's court and he was on his own. At which point, and I'm sorry, this is a long story, at which point the magistrate said, right, well, we're going to have to send this to trial. He went to trial and was asked whether he was would plead guilty or not guilty to the charge of intent to cause distress and alarm, to which he replied, um, well, I can't, um, you know, uh, plead guilty to intent because all I intended to do was get coffees. And when the prosecutor said, but you intended to cause alarm, he says, well, I don't know if I caused alarm because I can't know what somebody else is thinking. And this went round in a few circles a couple of times until the judge stood up and said, I've heard enough of this. Case dismissed. You're free to go. And this was only probably about 12 months ago that this all happened right in the middle of or 18 months ago, right in the middle of, of all the other COVID nonsense. But I, I quite like the story because it's one person 
standing up against several elements of, of the whole New World Order push. I'm not having an app on the phone. You're going to take my legal tender and the court system couldn't touch him or didn't want to in the end because it boils down to that judge's feeling on the on the situation. Anyway, enough about that. You may want to cut that out completely. I don't know. No, actually, I I, no, I don't. And the reason I don't want to is because um, I would highly recommend, and again, this is not really my place to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because we're all under assault by the same agenda. I would be boycotting Costa Coffee if I were in the UK, because this is their new uh, logo, if you will, that's been posted to their official Twitter account. I don't know if you're aware of this. But I have is, seen, I've yeah. seen that. But I've only seen it through social media. Um, mm -hmm. I don't go to Costa Coffee, really. I've got one friend who's addicted to it. And it, he's quite a mature man as well. So you'd think he'd, he'd know better. But yeah, he has at least two or three Costas a week. Well, this is uh, I liken this to the uh, the Budweiser thing in the U.S. where they're promoting the uh, the transgender. There's a double mastectomy, blue haired, whatever that's on there uh, drinking their coffee. So I'm I, again, I I would call for a general boycott of it. There's so much of it going in subliminally as well. And and that's just an element of it. It's normalization. There's a, a TV series on Amazon Prime at the moment. It's developed from a novel by one of my favorite or two of my favorite authors, that being Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And it's called Good Omens. And the second series of it has come out. And it's basically a battle between heaven and hell, angels and demons. It's comedy. It's fantasy. It it's you know I've read I read the book a long time ago. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the first series. I've now watched all of the second series, but it was making me grind my teeth and say rude words. There's a scene in it where the angel goes up to Scotland to find something out, and he gets approached by two skinheads. Uh, Scottish skinheads in uh, a graveyard in Glasgow, or oh, sorry, Edinburgh, and he needs a phone. And because he's an angel, he can just say to them, give us your phone, uh, but he does it very politely. And when the phone is passed over, you can see the, the background photograph on the phone is a Union Jack. When he hands the phone back to the skinhead, it's got the Scottish soul tire on and a big smile comes over the skinhead's face. And that was just one small subliminal message, Britain bad, independent Scotland good. It's it's tiny little things like this that people in the media, people producing TV shows are slipping in. The other thing is, later on in the same programme, you've got a lesbian couple that are the centre of the, the sort of attention and, and what these two, this angel and demon who are working together needs to get them together to fall in love. You've also got trans people living in the street and it's just normalising. And I'm not saying that, you know, these people haven't got a right to exist. Of course they have. But in a TV show, it, it's not really necessary. People can just be people, but they don't have to overtly push that agenda the final straw is this angel and this demon who have known each other since the beginning of earth uh, and have worked together to actually they both love people even though crowley the demon is working from the side of hell he still likes people and enjoys everything about earth the angel again loves people and is working from heaven's perspective but 
The final straw, as I say, was the great big gay kiss between the two of them because they had finally realised that they were in love with each other. So two men kissing on telly again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it didn't need to be part of that story. It is an agenda. It is. And I vaguely mentioned this in passing uh, earlier this week to you. Uh, The BBC is, this is one of the main producers of your content, and not all encompassing, of course, but it's one of the main producers of of content in the UK. Uh, They're facing a mass revolt from television viewers. Around 2.8 million people are now claiming that they no longer need to pay for a TV license. This could be for a number of reasons, but I would imagine that people are not happy about the content at the same time would be another reason for that revolt. I think the dramas and the documentaries used to be exactly what we wanted. They were quality, um, they were accurate, but every wildlife program now says, humans bad, we're destroying the planet. Every drama has gay and trans undertones, and it's not what we want to pay for. Now, the news used to be considered the impartial truth. That has long, long stopped. That that has long not been the case. So if you're getting your other forms of entertainment through streaming services such as Amazon Prime, Netflix, Lionsgate, any of these other streaming services, and you're not watching BBC, why the hell should you pay the license fee? Well, in truth, they don't get you if you're watching the BBC. It's whether or not you are able to receive it. So if you have a television that can receive... BBC programming, you have to have a license. If you have a radio, you have to have a license. Now, the TV license includes the use of radios, but you know, you still have to have one. What about Um, phones? Because you can get BBC on your phones now, too. Yeah, technically, what you'd have to do to get BBC on your phones is log into iPlayer, BBC iPlayer, put in your account, identify where you live have an account, and then you can stream from it. You can't just log into it anonymously. They've put blockers on that. They have. I, I used to watch the BBC iPlayer a few years ago, and there was, a, there was a program on that I wanted to see for research purposes. I would be able to get around that, but I can't any longer. Well, they've, uh, they've so. shot themselves in the foot, haven't they? By, yeah, they have. Um, yeah. You know, by limiting it uh, the way they have, then the only people who are watching BBC are the blissfully unaware and all those that were watching it and might have been further persuaded by its propaganda are not watching it now because they're not paying for it so right the way across europe where people used to use uh, a vpn to log in and 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 watch bbc iplayer now can't so on with the agenda since you were you were mentioning some of the uh, the agenda talk there that's that's put forth by some of these networks and kind of preceding that with what you talked about how the joy is being taken out of everything climate change unfortunately my friend i have to i have to be the bearer of bad news here <clears throat> the um, the bbc which we were just discussing has formally declared the newspaper that you read called the light uh, a right wing extremist paper. And you were just showing me the um, uh, the cover story of that paper, and it says that climate change is a hoax. So I would like to get your considered and informed opinion on that being classified as a 
I think it's a joke, really, uh, a right wing extremist paper. And then, of course, we can get into the climate change aspect of it. I get the newspaper and it's handed to me for nothing. And I normally get five or six copies given to me so I can just distribute them. But I'm not a real big reader of newspapers. I use it for an occasional piece of research. And I always take everything I read with a healthy amount of scepticism. But with so many, in inverted commas, climate experts disagreeing with the narrative, particularly that carbon dioxide has zero effect on temperatures, which is the headline of the light issue number 34. Um, So that's been going 34 months now, pretty much almost the same time as the whole pandemic started just shortly after, you know, three years ago. So they've got the statistics. They've put them into the newspaper. Climate change is happening. We all know climate change is happening because it's always happened. But our use uh, and production of CO2 is having no effect whatsoever on average temperatures across the face of the globe. What is having effect is that natural warming and cooling cycle that the planet goes through. And certainly, if we in the West got down to net zero, as is their aim, but China, India, Russia, massively populated countries with old school industry and power production continue to churn it out, our efforts make absolutely no difference whatsoever. And what does that say to the, if we're to believe all this stuff, what what does that say to the nations that have not reached that point in their development? That means that they'll never be allowed to develop? Essentially, that's what the ideas coming out of Davos and the UN and the WHO and all of these other unelected bodies have decided to, um, to spout. So yes, it basically does. It says, if you're in the Stone Age, you're staying there. If you're in the 21st century, we might have to knock you back to the Stone Age. Yeah, you're going to have to go back to the Stone Age. Uh, There is a scientist that used to be one of these uh, consensus scientists, but she's apparently turncoat. She says that the overwhelming consensus on the climate crisis, the climate change crisis is manufactured. Never would have guessed. She says that uh, we're told that climate change is a crisis and that there is overwhelming scientific consensus. It's a manufactured crisis, according to Judith Curry. She says that scientists have an incentive to exaggerate risk and pursue fame and fortune. She knows about that because she once spread alarm about climate change herself. The media was absolutely fawning over her when she published a study that showed a dramatic increase in hurricane intensity. Well, then that was, of course, at that time, it was picked up by the uh, the media and they said, well, OK, then this is what we need to do. We need to we need to follow along with that. And we need we need you to inv- endorse uh, global warming. They accused her of creating the hysteria on her own. And she said, well, no, not really. But. That's what everybody seems to pick up on. She said that she was adopted by the environmental advocacy groups and the alarmists, and I was treated like a rock star, flown all over the place to meet with politicians. But then some researchers pointed out gaps in her research, and they figured that, well, okay, you've said that these are increased intensity, and then they went back and they looked historically, and they said, um, we're actually at a lower level than, than what you're actually saying. And so she said, like a good scientist, she investigated her own work and put it against the claims of what was being brought against her. And she said that or she found out that the critics that were 
pointing that out to her, she said that they were right. And so, of course, as a scientist, she had to go back on on everything and reevaluate her position. And she was found to be in error. And she said that part of it was was based on bad data. And she says, and part of it was based on natural climate variability. And so uh, she said that the climate sca- the climate gate scandal, which was dubbed after that, taught her that other climate researchers weren't so open minded. They all seemed to follow the same line. Uh, I think it's um, not necessarily yeah, that they're not open minded, but they are very open walleted. They are happily taking the money that, giving one version of the narrative, gains them. No, no scientist. Uh, particularly in the, in the field of uh, the environment and meteorology, ever made a big splash by saying everything's going to be fine, it's all quite normal. Uh, the, the ones that get the notoriety, get grabbed by various news stations to come on and talk, are the ones who are prophesizing doom, gloom, destruction, Armageddon. Uh, and, and it's the same with many things. Whilst we started this conversation talking about no one wants to hear bad news, but, you know, these outlets don't thrive, don't get viewer numbers, don't sell newspapers. It's all going to be okay. Everything's carrying on as normal. They get that uplift in viewer numbers and newspaper sales with dramatic, scaremongering headlines. So there's your answer. The majority of scientists didn't have the same moral compass as this woman had. And once she'd found out she was wrong, she did the right thing. And so few people these days are prepared to do the right thing. You're absolutely right. Unfortunately, my friend, I don't think we're going to have time to worry about that too much because we have a new strain that is spreading across the UK of, uh, of COVID. It's been designated a variant of interest by the World Health Organization, eg 5 is descent, which is descended from the Omicron variant of COVID, has been detected in 51 countries and is growing in prevalence globally, including the United Kingdom, the United States, and of course, the country of origin, China. Well, of course it is, because it's based on the common cold, and the common cold mutates, as Ned has covered to the nth degree. I'm not going to even try to, to give any science comment on on that news because uh, I'm not researched enough as, as you know and Ned certainly does the research in that area but I think they can or oh, what's the phrase I'm looking for stick it up the well farters have I used that one before I, I think you have yes it's I it's, uh, it's been a, it's I, been a I bleeper should probably time. come out bleeper too, it's yeah. a nice piece of alliteration you see do you know the, this event I'm going to at the weekend during COVID, everything they they so that they could just run their event, they were forced to first of all check people's vaccine vaccine status, which is totally illegal. You know, a private event should not have that kind of power, but they did it, and people went along with it. Uh, and when I turned up for the first time, I had to take a test to prove that I didn't have it. And then the only time that I have had COVID and tested positive for it was two days after one of those events where everyone attending had tested negative prior to the event beginning and had declared their vaccination status and all that kind of stuff. So it did absolutely no good whatsoever. 
If you're going to get it, you're going to get it. The best way of fighting it is not by filling yourself full of mRNA that simply fine-tunes your immune system to produce that one spike protein. You're better off fighting it by breathing in lots of little antigens on a daily basis from other people, letting your body cope with it, and building a strong immune system from exposure to other forms of virus which are floating about in the air all the time. The world is full of germs, viruses, and disease, and the best way uh, is, or the best approach is what don't kill you makes you stronger. And that, that, that's about all I have to say on EC5 or whatever the flip it was called. You said that you had watched something on uh, uh, on the television. Uh, I want to say it was last week when, or earlier this week, I'm not sure which one it was, but um, one of your um, uh, facilities there, and I'll let you describe what it is, are working on something called Disease X. Uh, some of your scientists are beginning to develop vaccines against a new pandemic. Right. The, the establishment in question is a top secret uh, research base, but the stuff it works on is how to weaponize stuff or where you've got weapons, uh, biological or chemical weapons, how to counteract their effects. So for it to suddenly move into looking at hemorrhagic diseases, diseases that cause massive internal bleeding is quite quite strange it's it's not a vaccination big pharma research place it's a place that works out uh what the enemy have or, and what they can deploy against us uh, and then try to work out if there are ways of countering it i mean some if you look at uh certain types of snake venom you get hematoxins neurotoxins the hematoxins cause your blood to either coagulate or cause uh, not to coagulate. So if you can imagine one snake bites you and your blood turns to jelly, another snake bites you and your blood just pours out of every orifice because it's become so thin. That's the kind of study that Port and Down does. It doesn't and hasn't, to my knowledge, ever produced a vaccine for anything. However, before the Gulf War, I did take a vaccine for anthrax because I was stupid in those days and I just did what I was told. However, that vaccine is still not approved or properly tested. And it was given to thousands of servicemen during Desert Storm or just before Desert Storm. And there have been serious long-term effects from the whole cocktail of inverted comma vaccines that we were, were given. I've got a personal story about it, which I'm not going to do on air. But yeah, I just totally don't believe what we're being told by the news on this particular subject. No, as uh, and uh, you should be skeptical about uh, about all aspects of it, especially when you've got Bill Gates running around the globe saying that, well, look, we we've got to develop these things at, at rapid paces. We don't have time to wait anymore, and and we need these pandemic preparedness teams, and and we've got to have all this stuff ready and and ready to roll out and to come online when we need them to come online. And yet we're now just seeing all of these things rapidly appear, you know, just uh, all of a sudden we're seeing all of these uh, diseases and things actually appear. Now, this one's interesting. I heard about this actually last night. There is a doctor, not heard it from more than one doctor yet, but there is a doctor in the state of Missouri in the United States that is seeing a very 
a very strange phenomenon in his practice. People are coming in contact with a tick. You know what a tick is, that horrible little bugger thing that that buries its head into your, you know, skin somewhere. Yeah, and and, and this this is what has promoted the research apparently into the hem hemorrhagic fever mm -hmm. because it's carried by ticks. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting because this one that he's seeing, this is this doesn't have anything to do with hemorrhagics, but we have heard through the uh, through the grapevine, if you will, through the uh, the different research that we've been doing uh, in terms of of COVID and whatnot, that we've been kind of speculating that there would be some type of a hemorrhagic thing that would come next, something because they need something not not to the level of COVID. They need to they need to increase the intensity just a little bit. They need something that they can visually scare people with. They tried it with all the play acting and everything else they had with COVID with the uh, the Nightingale hospitals, if you remember those across uh, across the UK. Okay, I do, yeah. The overflowing hospitals that weren't there and, and whatnot. They had the hospital staff go out and drive their cars in to make it look like they were overflowing in the emergency rooms and, and the A&Es and everything else. It was ridiculous. But they need something that they can visually put up there on television that they can scare the hell out of people with. And I think they'll pick a few handpicked cases and they'll stick them up there. But back to my original point, the ticks that this doctor is seeing in the state of Missouri. Now, Missouri is a very uh, sparsely populated state. So if you take the, the city of St. Louis and a couple others out, then it's pretty sparsely populated. But in the areas that he has his practice, he's seeing his patients come in with these tick bites. After they have been bitten by these ticks, they have developed an odd intolerance to beef. Now, what are we being promoted with day in and day out from places like the United Nations and the World Economic Forum? You Missouri no is cattle country, isn't it? It I is. Mean, well, it's part of it is, yeah. The thing is, the tick is carrying the blood of whatever else it sucked on before it gets to bite you. Most ticks are not, or they're, they're very specific species of ticks that will go on to sheep, cattle, and unfortunately, dogs, especially working dogs, pick them up while they're hunting in undergrowth and, and scrub. Uh, and that's usually when they wind up coming into contact with humans. Normally, the only people who are going to wind up getting bitten by ticks are people who are either out camping or who work with animals. I'm going somewhere with this but I'm thinking as we're talking, but if there's some kind of, I don't know, some some kind of protein that is in the blood of the animals that the ticks are normally feeding on, which once passed into a human starts that um, kind of allergic reaction or starts the, the immune system fighting it, then who knows? You, you just shouldn't mess around with nature. Any kind of... Uh, thing done at a DNA, mRNA level could have catastrophic long-term consequences. And I know it's an out-of-fashion out of phrase, but these scientists are literally playing God. The ones that are into genetically modifying foods, once you start messing about with that double helix, who knows what you're going to wind up with? Uh, and when it when it's addressed towards a food source, and then it part maybe it, maybe it was uh, about wheat or grass to begin with. Who knows? But then if it's been ingested by cattle or sheep, the tick has bitten them. That blood can then pass if the tick manages to bite a human afterwards. So yeah, these allergic and Im autoimmune reactions, in my very poorly qualified 
and only educated through what I've heard. I just think it's too dangerous and it, it should have been something that was never allowed to happen. But of course, the cry for we need a tomato that will grow in Africa. We need to make potatoes that have got a bigger yield so that we can transport them to wheel, to feed the world starving. Well, Ned did the research and worked out just how much has been spent on charity for Africa, for instance, and how much it would take to feed everybody on the planet. And so the money that people, normal everyday people, have with the goodness of their own hearts donated to charities has not been spent properly. It's been either squandered or deliberately diverted away. And it's it's just helped the argument for genetically modified foods. And genetically modified foods can have long-term unforeseen consequences, one of which might just be an allergic reaction to beef. That's true. That is true. And I appreciate your assessment on that. I do have two surprises for you before you uh, before you get away. Marty, you're aware of uh, uh, your your favorite Scottish politician, uh, Jeanette Crikey, I think you call her. Cranky. Cranky. Or Crikey. 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 Crikey is a euphemistic um, swear word that people get away with. Rather than blaspheming and saying Christ, they'll say Crikey instead. Okay, well, thank you for clearing that up. Well, anyway, Jeanette Crikey, yeah, or as we as she's referred to by her legal name, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, she's going to be writing a, uh, a deeply personal memoir covering her proudest achievements as well as her regrets throughout her time in politics. Uh, a publisher, Pan Macmillan, which is in Scotland, has has announced. Of course, the book is untitled at the moment, uh, but it will be published around 2025. So um, quoting from Sturgeon here, she says that, um, I've loved my life in politics, but ever since I was a child, I've harbored an ambition to write. Embarking on this book is therefore exciting, if also daunting. I aim to chronicle the key events of the past three decades of Scottish and British politics and take the reader behind the scenes to describe how it felt to be in the room. Who else was there? and the relationships involved and how decisions were arrived at it. I will talk about what I am proud of and be frank about my regrets. I will reflect on the challenges of being a woman. You got to throw the identity politics in there in politics and reveal more about the person behind the politician. Will you be reading Miss Sturgeon's book? Do you know what? I think I will. This book, and again, you'll have to excuse my pronunciation, but for many of us, this will be like a literary form of Schagenfolger. Or, or however it's said. Basically, it'll be uh, a spilling out of every moment she got a pie in the face or fell over and hurt her knee and all of that kind of stuff, metaphorically, of course. And I probably would read it because I will laugh heartily right the way through the whole thing. In actual fact, I couldn't give a fat rat's ass about any of her hopes and aspirations. She has just been a thorn in the side. She's been used as an agitator by the people that want to see the UK broken up because they need to break us to break the rest of Europe down and to, you know, to, to run over us all roughshod. The UK needs to be a non-entity, unable to fight back. And they're getting bloody close to doing that. And all that time we've wasted on the concept of Scottish independence uh, and the, you know, the argument back and forth. They had a referendum. They voted to remain part of the United Kingdom. They were given that option and that should be the end of it. I can't remember exactly when 
the subjugation of the Scots was. But the final the the final thing that made Great Britain one country was when James the Sixth of Scotland became James the First of England, and so the Scottish King uh, on on the Stuart line took over the throne, and that sealed it. That should have been the end of it. Now, um, I remember in 1976, the bicentennial celebrations for the United States of America. I, I was 10 years old, I think, at, at the time. And they made a big fuss over, over it. And I did visit RAF Lake and Heath and RAF Mildenhall for the great big parties and air shows and fantastic burgers and stuff that they had. I'm saying this just to emphasize that. That's a 200-year history, so now a 240-year history of the United States of America. But the United Kingdom, uh, I, th- I think it was the, the 15th century when James I uh, was on the throne, something like that. That's 600 years ago. So that more than doubles the amount of time and history of this country compared with your country of origin. And our history goes way back before that, all the way to the ninth century. And obviously, there's older civilizations still in existence across the face of the globe. But that little, stumpy, ridiculous-looking ginger with attitude should never have been allowed to gain the popularity and momentum that she had. She's wasted so much time and money. She spent money like it's water. In in the United Kingdom, there's 7.2 million people in Scotland. There's around about 55 million people in England. Um, and then Wales and Northern Ireland make up the rest of our total population. The majority of taxes in this country are paid by English people or people who live in England. But Scotland has been spending money under the SNP government like it was going out of fashion, which, of course, funnily enough, it is because it's CDCs and, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies and the Great Reset that Klaus Schwab just feels a need for. So, yeah, what, have you, what else you got for me? I'll, I'll, I'll buy the book, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought I would let you know. It's, it's a couple of years out, but uh, it is on its way. I know how much of a fan you are of the man bun. You brought that up on one of our, uh, our Room 101s. Yeah, there's only one type of person that should have a man bun, and that's a samurai. Samurai. Um, Well, yeah. Okay. Samurais have allowed them. Anybody else is just being a woke hipster. Okay. Well, I also I also know (laughs) you had to say that, didn't you? Now, I I also know that you are a fan of these uh, these eco warriors, these um, just stop oil and and extinction rebellion. Well, here where I am uh, in in Germany, they have a spinoff of that. It's it's not just stop oil. It's not extinction rebellion. They call themselves the last generation. And they love to do exactly what Just Stop Oil like to do. They like to sit in traffic with their orange high visibility uh, vests on and hold up signs and stop traffic. Well, one of your man bun uh, samurais here decides that he's going to, well, I'll let you just narrate it. Okay, so the guy's taken the sign off. Now, this guy has taken up what I like to call a stance. He's gone into a cat stance, so he's got three quarters of his weight on his back foot and virtually no weight on the front foot and put his guard up. And the guy who snatched the banner has just slapped his hand 
out of the way is that where it ends is that it doesn't unfortunately do- that's no he the guy the guy literally just gets back in his car and, and drives off that's where it stops because i think at that point he would have realized that he would have been stomped into the ground the the uh yeah yeah last generation I mean, guy obviously the last generation guy is considerably lighter than the uh very fit and well muscled chap who's just grabbed the sign and um <laughs> Yeah, but he's almost knocked him over right there with just a slap across his wrist. See, that's someone who's done like uh, five or six karate or kung fu lessons. And the other guy is just a beast. If if he'd have, you know, maybe put a threat towards the other guy, uh, you know, a jab to the face, even if it didn't make contact, would have put the other guy on the back foot. He could have then, because of the useful stance he's using, have either done a front kick to his midsection or dummied the front kick and put in something like Yushiro Mawashigeri, reverse hook kick. But he would have still just bounced off him because he was about, I don't know, 90 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, most of it was, um, I, I think it was vegan clothing and uh, and man bun. I think it's, I think it's all and, that made up probably most of his odor. body. And odor, odor, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. I guess I will kick in, because we've got a couple of minutes here, I guess I'll kick in a, a third surprise. Marty, you like to fish. Did you get your boat in the water? No, but the trailer is now fixed. We had an issue. The new wheels we got for the trailer had the wrong size holes for the hubs. So we had to get new hubs. They've now been fitted. I fit. I fitted those yesterday. It's got new wheels on, um, and now I just need four hefty men to help me lift the boat onto the trailer. Well, I'm not hefty, but again, if I were there, I would offer my uh, my services. I know you would, mate. I appreciate that. Um, but unfortunately, I I don't know if if you've ever as many, as much time as you spent uh, fishing throughout your life. I doubt very seriously you've ever caught anything like this. Uh, in the city of Tampa, Florida, the mayor was out fishing with the uh, Florida city's uh, former police chief. You know they they work together for so many years and and they just go out and they they fish together. Well, the two that were out fishing they they caught seventy pounds of cocaine. While they were uh, they were out fishing, uh, it was worth one point one million dollars in street value. While they were they were out, you ever caught any cocaine while you were out fishing, Marty? You ever caught um, seventy pounds of of cocaine? Well, it depends because obviously I have spent time on patrol in the West Indies. That's true. That is true. Um, in drug addiction operations. Now the Tampa mayor and the the Tampa police chief are admitting they found that one package. Uh, how many other package might how many they other have found? <laughs> Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's got a distinctive cartel marking of a butterfly or a papillon. It does. On it, uh, it? it was uh, yeah. Once they opened, once they called the U.S. Uh, Customs and, and Border Patrol, and they opened it up, and they found twenty five bricks of uh, of cocaine inside. So about twenty five, yeah, twenty five kilos, about seventy pounds. It's funny that because that that exact shape of the butterfly there is the same, I think, as the monarch butterfly. And I'm just digressing here, but it's one of the most amazing things on the face of the planet is this migration from uh, Southern Hemisphere to Northern Hemisphere of that species of butterfly. And they have to cross that whole hurricane region as well, but they, they get such an altitude that they manage to make it. Of course, with insects, it's always quantity, not quality. 
So as long as some of them make it to the area they're migrating to, they will always spawn and there'll be lots more for the next next year. But yeah, that's that's quite interesting. I'm sure that the mayor and, and the police chief, um, even if they only found that one, might have thought for a second, have we got the infrastructure to distribute this? <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows? All right, my friend, it's been a fascinating conversation as always. We'll see you next week. We will indeed. Well, you Very good. Indeed. Very good. That'll do it for us for today and for this week. I'd like to thank you for being here today, Marty. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.